Hi and welcome to our second podcast on medical statistics. Last time we looked at um, formulating a clinical question and then this week we're going to look at descriptive statistics and standard scores. In more detail what we're looking at this week is um, two particular types of descriptive statistics that is um, measures of central tendency and measures of spread um, and then we'll also look at standard scores and the normal distribution as well. Now uh, this podcast might not set your world on fire, um, but again, it's important fundamental stuff that we really need to understand before we move on to um, our next topic, which will be hypothesis testing. So if we're talking about descriptive statistics, then it's important that we define what they are. One reason for calculating statistics is so that we can describe our data and answering questions like, how many of our population fulfill this criteria or um, how large is this measurement that we've taken from our population or how spread it spread out is our population or how skewed is this data set so um, asking questions which describe the data um, another use of statistics is to test hypotheses or to make inferences from our data from our um, sample to the whole population. So that's answering questions like, is the mean of our population greater than such and such? The first of these two types of statistics then is called descriptive statistics, um, whereas the second is inferential statistics. Um, and it's the first of these that we're really going to consider briefly today. In particular, we're going to talk about um, measures of central, central tendency and then measures of spread. So measures of central tendency um, are often referred to as averages. Now before you click on stop or close your browser window because you can't believe that I'm about to talk to you about averages, um, then bear with me for a moment and think about this example. Um, suppose that you've decided you want to study what happens to the arterial pH of patients after some major operation that your team does. So you sample um, 100 post-operative patients, you take some arterial blood and work out the pH um, and what you want to do is figure out what the average pH is for these patients. Um, which average would you use? Have a think about it for a moment. Now um, if you decided that the mode was the best average to use then you might want to go away and do a bit more reading about averages before you come back here because that's really a bad choice. If you went for the median or the mean, then that's better, and um, those would potentially not be unreasonable choices to use. Um, if you thought, because pH is um, a, a log quantity, then I'd like to take anti-logs, and then take the mean of the hydrogen ion concentrations, and then take the log of this again, um, then well done, and you can skip to the end of this podcast. Now I say that not to make me sound clever or to make you sound less clever, um, but just um, hopefully to make you realise that um, finding averages is not just as simple as working at the mean of the data that you have. Well, sometimes it is, but it, it's not necessarily. So I'm not going to spend any time defining averages. Um, you should know that already. But I want to spend a bit of time thinking about which is the best one to use. Now we tend to think that the mean is the best because when we work it out 
it's got loads of decimal places and so that makes it look really accurate whereas the others tend to be whole numbers or just categories but I want to try and persuade you that that's not necessarily the case so there are some times when really only the mode will do um, consider a study that looks at the um, hair colour of patients presenting with malignant melanoma or Jupitron's contracture, whatever you like. There's no way to even calculate the mean or the median of somebody's hair colour. And so certainly in cases where you have categorical data, the only average really available to you is the mode. Likewise, there are some times when it makes sense to use the median. Um, if you think about, uh, say you had a bunch of patients who had um, bladder cancer and you recorded the stage of their cancer. So some of them would have uh, PTA, some of them would have PT1, PT2, PT3. Um, now you could use a mode to look at the average of these patients. But then again, because we know kind of a, an order or a ranking for these stages, you could also work out the median. But it doesn't make sense to use the mean because you can't divide PTA plus PT1 by 2. And another example could be um, length of stay in hospital. So say you're looking at how long your patients stay in hospital after they've had their operation. Now typically we only record uh, this data as length of whole days. So we say somebody has stayed uh, three days post-op. But we wouldn't record it to the kind of accuracy where we said somebody stayed um, four days, 12 hours and 13 minutes post-op. Um, that's just not what we do. Um, but it's not uncommon to see reported um, mean lengths of stay. But does that really make sense? Suppose that you had somebody who had stayed uh, one day and 23 hours after their operation. Well, we would record them of having a, a length of stay of one day because we record in whole days. And suppose you had a second person who had stayed two days and one hour after their operation, then they'd be recorded as having a length of stay of two days. Uh, so you'd have one person who stayed one day, one person who stayed two days. If you look at the mean of those two patients, then you would say that the average length of stay for these patients is 1.5 days. And what does that even mean? Does that mean that um, on average people were discharged at 12 noon, the day after their operation? Or does that mean that they stayed for 36 hours from the time they left the operating suite? It, it doesn't really make sense. Um, whereas if we worked out a, a median, then typically we would get a, um, a whole number answer. So we'd say that the median length of stay was one day or two days. And that makes sense because that's in the same unit that we're measuring. So clearly the type of data that we have um, can guide us as to which measure of central tendency or average we use. But it's still important to look at our data to make sure that the um, the statistics that we're using make sense. So here, for example, is a nice symmetrically distributed um, set of data. Um, and it would seem reasonable that we could use the mode, the median or the mean to describe the central tendency of this data, depending on what type of data it was. If we look at this next example, though, so this data is now skewed to the left. And you can see that the mean and the median don't um, estimate the where, where intuitively we see the, um, the average value to be particularly well, so they both sit off to the right. Um, so it might be that either we say that the mean and the median are not good measures to use here, or it might be that 
if we came across this situation, then we would need to think about transforming our data. And then here's another example whereby if we just blindly went ahead and um, asked a computer to calculate a mean or a median, then we would have missed something. In this case, the data is bimodal. And it should prompt us to think about whether we need to split our sample into subgroups. And you'll see that if you were to go ahead and try to work out the mean or the median for this data, then the number that came out would be exactly the, the number that you didn't want. It'd be one of the released common values. So I hope what, what we've covered is that in order to pick a good measure of central tendency, you need to think about what type of data you have, but then also you need to have a look at your data um, and see whether what you're doing is appropriate. So the next descriptive statistic I wanted to talk about were measures of spread. And here we're talking about things like ranges, quartiles, and measures of variation. They don't really make sense in categorical data. So really here we're talking about discrete or continuous data. And so the thing about our data that we're describing here is how spread out it is. So if you look at the example above, um, we've got two nice symmetrical distributions. Um, they both have the same mode, median and mean, um, but the red distribution you can see there is more tightly spread around the mean, whereas the purple one is more spread out. Um, and then the question is, how can we, what statistic can we use to quantify this measure of spread? Um, and to help us think, think about that, I want to look at two distributions here. Now, it's a bit contrived, but suppose um, you do one experiment and you have six results, and three of the results come out as minus one, three of the results come out as positive one. And then hopefully you'd agree with me that the, a good number to represent the spread of this data would be 1, because everything is 1 away from the, the mean. Um, and suppose you do a second experiment where, you, again, you get six data points. Um, three of them are minus 2, three of them are positive 2. Here you would expect whatever number you come up to represent spreads to be 2, because everything is 2 away from the mean. Um, and so... There are a number of different ways that you could try and um, measure spread. Uh, so, for instance, you could just find the difference from each of your data points from the mean and add them together. And you could call this the summed deviation. Now, the problem is that in both of our data sets here, um, when you added those together, they would come to zero. So all of the minus ones, those which are one below the mean, would cancel out with the positive ones, those which are one above the mean. And in the second data set, the, the negative twos, because they're minus two from the mean, would cancel with the positive twos, which are two from the mean. So that would be a relatively useless way to try and calculate spread. The second, second thing we could do would be to just look at the size of the difference from the mean um, and average this out. So in the case of our first experiment up top, each of the minus ones is a distance of one from the mean and the positive ones are a distance of 1 from the mean. So the average distance we'd get here would be 1. That's reasonable. And then again in the bottom, each of each of our data points um, are a distance of 2 from the mean, and so the average here we would get would be 2. And this measure of um, spread is called the absolute deviation. It's not used very much because there's another measure of spread which turns out to be... Um, more convenient in, in terms of the way that calculating statistics works. And so it's probably the one you've heard of most, which is called the standard deviation. Um, and in this, we 
take the, the difference of each data value from the mean, we square it, which makes everything positive, and we add it together, average it, and then take the square root. And if you worked out the standard deviation for our first set of data here, that would be one, and the second set of data would be two. So in our cases, we're getting the same answers as the absolute deviation, but that's not always the case. So we've talked about absolute deviation and standard deviations, and there are other measures of spread. So you've probably heard of um, interquartile range, um, and then you could use the range. So next, I want to go um, on to talk about um, standard scores. And these turn out to be relatively important when we come on to later topics like hypothesis testing. So imagine that you're revising for an exam, say you're revising for your MRCS, membership of the Royal College of Surgeons, um, you work hard and you pass and you get a score of 72%. Great. And the downside to this is that you have a friend who passed his MRCS the year before and he had a score of 75%. Now, competitive as we all are, what we'd really like to know is who did best. Now, your friend naturally says that he did better because he scored 3% higher than you. Uh, but your argument would be that clearly the exam was much harder the year that you took it. And so, in fact, you did better. Um, and standard scores is one way of answering this argument. And it really, it, clearly, it depends on who took the harder exam and where they came. So let's look at an example. Um, suppose that these um, these are the distributions of the results of the exam. In uh, green is the exam that you took, and in red is the exam that your mate took. So you can see here um, that whilst your score was lower than your mate's, Clearly, you've done a lot better because you were really near the top of the distribution of, um, of scores for the MRCS the year you took it, whereas your mate is somewhere below average. So you could say in this case that whilst you got a lower score, you probably did better. If we look, however, at this uh, graph instead, so same idea, your, the distribution of your MRCS is in green and of your mates is in red. Suddenly, it's a little bit more difficult to tell what's happening here just by looking. I mean, the, the score's quite close, but uh, who's done better here? So uh, what we need is a bit more of a robust way of um, deciding how we compare between two distributions. And one way to do this, and the idea which lies behind standardized scores, is to ask the question, how many standard deviations above or below the mean uh, does the score lie. And this is um, this is useful not just in comparing scores that we have here, but it's uh, foundational in some kinds of statistical tests like um, a student's t-test for instance. So if your score was one standard deviation above the mean, then you'd be said to have a standardized score of one. And if somebody else had a score which was um, 1.3 standard deviations below the mean, their standardized score would be minus one. And the good thing about standardized scores is that you can compare them um, across different distributions. So in our example, um, different exam sittings, you could still compare two candidates' standardized scores. Okay, so the last thing I want to come on to talk about today is the normal distribution. It's an important distribution because it crops up loads in nature when we measure weights or heights, uh, when we look at test scores. And another reason it, it crops up a lot is due to a a relatively central theorem in statistics called the Central Limit Theorem. That's not something we're going to go into detail in now, um, but if you wanted to 
but a quick search on Google would point you in the right direction. So we know a lot about the normal distribution. Just by looking at it, we can see that it's a symmetrical distribution. But more than that, we know what proportion of the later of the data lies within, say, one, two, three, or four standard deviations of the mean. Um, so the diagram above um, on the x-axis, um, the label is numbers of standard deviations above or below the mean, and then written within the diagram itself is percentage of the data. So that shows that about 68% of the data lies within one standard deviation of the mean, 95% lies within two, and 99.7% within three. Um, and likewise, if we know that a population is distributed normally, um, then you could ask questions like, what's the probability of selecting an individual from it that is further than two standard deviations from the mean? And if you look at the diagram above, I think you'll be able to persuade yourself that um, there's about a 5% uh, probability of that. Think about the situation where we um, measure the serum sodium levels of healthy individuals. Then this would turn out to be distributed normally um, with a mean of about 140 millimoles per litre. Suppose a patient is admitted and you measure their sodium and you find that it's 155 millimoles per litre. Um, then you could ask the question, do I think that this patient comes from the population of healthy patients? Um, or, given that I know that this, this level of sodium is normally distributed, um, do I think that this patient is too many standard deviations above the mean um, to have come from this population? That is to say that this is a pathological sodium level. And typically, um, when we look at lab results, the reference ranges we get are plus or minus two standard deviations from the mean, um, or those values with standardised score plus two or minus two. And when we look at hypothesis testing, we'll see that we use a very similar logic. Is the result that we're presented with one that makes us want to reject the null hypothesis? So we've talked about descriptive statistics. We've defined what they are and how they um, differ from inferential statistics. Uh, we've talked about measures of central tendency, averages, and some pitfalls in using them, and sometimes when they're useful and when different types are useful. We've talked about the rationale uh, behind um, measures of spread. Um, some different types of measures of spread um, and then also we've talked about the normal distribution and we've started to touch on some ideas which will be important when we come to think about significance and hypothesis testing. These first two podcasts have really introduced some foundational ideas about how we ask clinical questions and then some of the bread and butter of the types of measures and uh, distributions that we come across. Uh, next time we'll be talking about um, hypothesis testing.